The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Last week, we talked to Andrew Solomon about differentness. And we're going to continue that topic today as we explore what it means to an individual to be different. One of the complaints clinicians commonly hear from clients is this feeling they carry of being alien in their families of origin. This would not be true if differentness were accepted, even celebrated by family. Unfortunately, not only does family reject us for being different, but so does the social milieu in general. Children who feel the most rejected for their difference are often those who are selected by bullies for bullying. In fact, we even talk about difference in terms of its feeling. Feeling different has become a way of describing that feeling of rejection. But what if feeling different could simply mean celebrating me? It is fascinating that at least in America, we formulated a country out of the need for freedom to be different, and then we set out to obliterate difference entirely. Let's talk about that today. So difference. We talked, when we talked with last week, um, to Andrew Solomon about his book, Far From the Tree, he was specifically talking about differences that society understands as difference, like in the case of uh, transgenderism or, <coughs> excuse me, uh, or autism or Down syndrome or uh, even criminal activity. We see these things as different. They are different from us. They, us. There's a dichotomy there between a big they and a big us. But the truth is, those are just um, um, sort of uh, paradigms of difference that we hold up before us and say, see, this is a case of real difference. This is not normal. Very often I hear people talk in my, in my office about what is and what isn't normal and, uh, I've decided to stop using the word normal as much as I can. I do catch myself using it from time to time, but I've decided that a more, a more better, a better term is common. What is common is not necessarily what is normal, but what is common is what we understand to be normal. And that is the primary issue of our discussion today. So what we, what we see around us is what we call normal. And there are people who have grown up in extremely dysfunctional homes where there was constant abuse and violence and uh, negativity and uh, verbal, mental, emotional, physical, uh, sexual abuse and drama and trauma going on all the time, betrayals of all kinds, lies and setting people up and just all kinds of really, really um, devastating kinds of abuse um, and yet the people who very often come from those homes, well, let me say it this way, the people who come from those homes very often 
will think of their home environment as normal until they're confronted with another paradigm, until they go to a friend's house and see that not everybody at that friend's house act the same way. Or when they go to school and see kindness for the first time. Or when they go out somewhere in the world and see that, you know, not everybody operates like my family does. And um, so there's a shock value that comes with that and an adjustment to, well, which is wrong, them out there or us in here? And uh, so one can cling all the more readily to family when one sees difference external to the family, or one can decide the family's got some real problems and actually what's outside the family is better. And I've seen both happen. Uh, but in either case, what we're seeing is differentness. When we go outside of the family, we're seeing differentness. And we may look at what's outside the family as abnormal, different, or we may look at it as, wow, that's, that feels good. That feels some, that feels like something I'd like to be around more. But because we have uh, a need to be with a likeness, we term everything that isn't alike or doesn't appear to be alike as different. Um, and so we, we, we label that differentness as somehow being bad. It's, it's bad to be different. Um, uh, and it is good to be the same. Um, so there's three, let me just sort of, uh, get a background foundational premise to this. There's three different types of families. There's probably lots of different types of families, but in the general consensus of how we judge a family system in terms of its mental health, there are three different types. Uh, one of those is, uh, uh, a detached family where every man is for himself, so to speak. Uh, there's not a real connection with anyone in the family. Everybody feels like they're operating in a little vacuum by themselves. Um, there's, there may be violence and there may be harsh words and there may be, um, um, abuse of all kinds, but, Mostly what's going on is that people are not connected to each other. Sometimes in those families, the abuse comes when people appear to appear, show up and have to be related to. And then people get mad because they showed up. And uh, so just being in the room sometimes in a detached family is problematical. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that dysfunctional. It can be just a kind of mild detachment where everybody's just independent and does their own thing and there's not much of a real connection that don't, people don't feel loved and uh, close to other people in the family that you feel detached and different and dissociated from the family so that's on one end of the pol- polarity on the other end of the polarity is the enmeshed family and in the enmeshed family um, everybody is all up in everybody else's stuff if you can just say it that way um, Everybody is connected to everyone in the family. And in this family, they may declare to everyone and themselves that they are a very close-knit family. That's the term very often used. We're a close-knit family. Uh, But if you look a little closer at the closeness, what you find is that people in that family system feel that they might be betraying everyone else in the family system by having their own opinion or their own career uh, drives or their own uh, personality type or their own uh, interests or anything that seems to be a little quote-unquote different from the family so that if my uh, everyone in my family, all the men in my family, so for example, or even the women in my family have been doctors and I want to grow up to be a ballet dancer, well, that's the problem. I'm somehow betraying the family system by doing that. And 
Um, and in this family, everyone needs to have the same opinion. Everyone needs to feel the same about politics and religion and, um, and uh, school, education, etc., etc. And if they don't, they're somehow betraying everyone else in the family. So uh, the closeness is actually built out of a fa- uh, fallacy. And the fallacy is we're only close as long as we're alike. And if one of us is different, we stop being close. And I have literally seen people completely rejected from a family system when they decided to be as different as they were. Um, and just, uh, we're not speaking to you anymore because you're, you've betrayed us by being different. Um, so that's the other extreme. So we have the attached on one end of the pole and enmeshed on the other end of the pole. And in the very center middle, is the healthy family where there's enough detachment to be able to find yourself and enough enough closeness to feel connected to other people. So that's what we're looking for is that kind of um of of connected ability to tolerate difference. In other words, I'm connected to you but you don't have to be like me. Uh, you can do your own thing and and have your own interests and your own opinions and your own thoughts and your own beliefs and your own way of doing things, but I'm still close to you. And um, I, you don't have to be like me to be, to be okay. And you don't have to be like me for me to be close to you, very close to you, in fact. Um, so that is the healthy family. Now, of course, families don't operate on, uh, the opposite extremes in most cases. In most cases, they operate somewhere along the, uh, the lines on the gradations of that continuum. So you may have, uh, an enmeshed family that's, uh, not so extreme. And while they may not want anybody in the family to betray their opinion, they're not going to kick anybody out of the family if they do. They're just going to sulk or be mad or argue with them or whatever. Um, and, and you may have a level of a detached family where they are detached from each other and they do feel alone, but they're not, they're not so detached that they don't, they can't feel some comfort by going home. So, um, so uh, those are just uh, some ways of explaining it. There's all kinds of levels of these different uh, ways of interacting. But the fact is that there, the, the enmeshed family has a real value for sameness, and the detached family has a real value for differentness. And that's, that's not the only thing they value, of course, but that, that is one of those things that's, um, very different in those extreme polarities is that if you're different in a detached family, well, that's okay because we don't care anyway. You're not connected to us and it's all right for you to be different. In the, in the enmeshed family, being different is wrong. You're not allowed to be different and you've somehow betrayed us if you're different. So, uh, that's how that, uh, that, idea of difference and sameness has become to be come to be such a very vital part of our societal uh, milieu when we interact with each other when we're uh, when we're formulating our friendships and when we're uh, deciding who we're going to work for and with and who we're uh, going to associate with even from a, a, a very uh, short-term kind of of interaction. Will I even associate with somebody that I think to, that is very, very different from me? So, ergo, what comes out of that is a kind of almost moral principality with regard to difference. If you're different, you're somehow wrong. Um, and that has been how it came, has come down over the years, over the centuries, I should say, 
in, into this kind of moral repugnance for what is different. And, and it, it, uh, it judges difference as being wrong. In previous centuries, uh, ancient times, children were drowned when they were born with some kind of, uh, physical challenge. And, uh, um, children were later, uh, sent away from homes when they were, when they developed some kind of mental health challenge. People that were mentally ill were hidden in the back rooms of homes if they were allowed to stay at all because nobody wanted anybody to know that that family had a mentally ill person in it because mental illness is different and society doesn't accept difference. And if they weren't in, in the back room of the house, hidden away, they were in an asylum where they were brutally treated very often and, um, and, and because, also because they were considered to be less than other people, even not human at all, because they were different. And so, uh, so what this means essentially is that we have in this world a real deep-seated archetypal problem with difference. So it's not just about people who literally appear to us on the extremes of difference, like in the cases that um, Andrew Solomon was talking about last week in terms of um, people that are autistic or, or, uh, or, or deaf or even blind or um, um, some physical hand, uh, challenge or some mental challenge or some intellectual challenge or um, criminal activity or trans- transgenderism or gay, le- gay or lesbian. So, or bisexual. So, if, if the, if it comes down to those extremes and we can look at those and say, okay, well, those people are definitely different. <laughs> well, how different are they really? You know, um, the spectrum of autism should tell us something about whether or not they're different. It ranges from severe incapacity to brilliance and so you know that range allows a lot of difference in there um the spectrum of sexuality is the same where we can you start on one end of the polarity and it's completely heterosexual and on the other end of the polarity it's completely gay or lesbian but all gradations occur in between so that uh, what has come to be understood as true and has been written about um, in the American Psychiatric Association's book, the DSM-5 and 4 before that, is that uh, gay, the, the issue of sexual orientation exists along a continuum. It does not exist in any one fashion, black or white. You're either gay or straight. It doesn't work that way. So difference in general happens along a continuum. So we could say that those extreme differences that were being discussed last week in Andrew Solomon's interview are is are different, in fact, than some of those less extreme. I remember seeing, I said this on the radio show last week, and I may have said it before, but I'll say it again now, the uh, story from my son's growing up when I was the cookie mom for his fourth grade class. I went in and um, saw the teacher... Um, Ta- uh, was watching this interaction occur between uh, two little, two, three little boys and a little girl. The little boys were making fun of her because she had on orange shoelaces in her tennis shoes, and uh, um, they told her that they were, you know, basically making fun of her. And the teacher sent the little boys to their seats and pulled the little girl off to the side. And I could hear her conversation, and she said to the little girl, "Maybe you shouldn't wear those shoelaces tomorrow." 
and I was shocked and, and, and disappointed. And, uh, of course, my disappointment says more about me than it does her because it only says I had some expectation of her. But what I saw essentially happening was that her difference was she was being told not to be different so that she wouldn't be bullied. And, you know, in terms of survival and safety, that might be a good thing if she was actually going to be bullied physically. But um, what it could have been was a great opportunity for that teacher to talk about differentness and how we can celebrate it and how people's creative impulses might look different uh, to others. Um, there are so many people in the, so when we talk about difference in the sort of lower, not so noticeable uh, ways of discerning it, uh, we look around at people with tattoos and you hear older people of another generation talking about how, you know, they, that's just terrible that people are putting tattoos all over their body and how silly and whatever, whatever. They're like talking about difference or people who dye their hair all kinds of different colors and, uh, some of the older generation will look at that and say, why are they doing that? That's just so ugly. Why would they do that? And, you know, um, we determined all these reasons why people put tattoos and is there something wrong with them for using tattoos? And, you know, it's the same exact thing we do with, uh, gay and lesbian issues. If, uh, why do people choose, quote unquote, to be, to, to go after somebody of the same sex, be attracted to somebody of the same sex? Well, um, and we make it wrong. We make it, something's wrong with them. What's wrong with them that they would do that? And that's how we'd view the whole subject of difference. So whether it happens along some of those extreme differences like in the issues we talked about last week with Andrew Solomon or in the less minor issues like orange shoelaces, we're still talking about difference. And it still has the same impact on particularly children who are told things like, well, don't wear your orange tennis, I mean, your orange shoelaces tomorrow because somebody's going to make fun of you. So the idea that we should be allowed to make fun of people that are different was perpetuated on that day that the teacher told the, the, the little girl not to wear her orange tennis shoes. And that idea is continually perpetuated because we, we don't want to be made fun of. I remember my son coming home from school and, uh, one day and I had bought him a new shirt and it had a little, couple of little pink checks in it. And he was like, I'm not wearing that shirt. Mom, it's gay. I'm like, really? Should I hang it in the other, in the closet with the other shirts? Maybe, uh, bad things will be happening in there if I do that at night, you know, <laughs> because, you know, the, the idea that he was going to get made fun of by Merrick wearing that shirt. And that is how our children are learning to live in this world is don't be different. Someone will make fun of you. And so that's why it's so imperative for us as teachers and parents and even children to realize that difference is supposed to be celebrated. It is my difference that makes me who I am. It is my difference from you that makes me an individual. If I'm the same as you, then where do I stop and you begin? We don't know that. And that is the primary issue. And so we're going to talk about that after the break, about what is it that issue that can't find a dividing line between what is me and what is you. Uh, because we're so afraid of difference. So we'll be back to talk about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. 
Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is a study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology offering as terminal degrees both a Ph.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reaches to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths. Utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path and then if they wish, to take healing, help, and wisdom to others. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. And all you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. 
So we're talking today about difference and what it means to be different for an individual. And before we talk any further about that specifically, I want to talk about this whole idea of being different as uh, I don't know where I stop and you begin. So if I'm different from you, then I know where I stop and you begin, except in the area of my difference, where I might be able to say, you think I'm bad for being different, therefore I think I'm bad for being different. Therefore, I don't know where I stop and you begin. So I can't formulate my own thought and say, I think I'm really cool for being different. Rather, I just absorb your thought of me and accept it as as fact for myself. And that that means that I haven't really uh, differentiated between me and you because your thoughts have been absorbed as my thoughts. Um, whereas if I can really appreciate my difference, then I would say, well, you you might see my difference as bad, but I enjoy my difference and so there it is. And it then I'm not then I can clearly see the boundary between myself and other people. So you see, not being able to uh allow ourselves internally to accept our own differences is a way of being enmeshed with other people. In other words, I'm not allowing myself to differentiate, not detach. I can still stay connected to you if I, if I know my difference, but actually to differentiate me from you and to be able to say, well, that's your opinion. Here's my opinion. This is how you see my difference. This is how I see my difference. I don't have to accept your opinion of my difference. I can really live into my own opinion of my difference. So, um, that piece right there is huge and it starts way early, uh, when we're infants. That, that idea that we don't know the difference between ourselves and other people. And it doesn't just occur in, in enmeshed families. It occurs even in detached families because if I grow up in a home with detached parents, I may detach in order to feel safe around them. Um, and I may detach as a way of them reflecting onto me that this is what I should do. And I just absorb that carte blanche and, identify with it well that's just what we do in our family and so there's not really uh, um, uh, an ability for me to look inside and see my own needs for a connection because I've identified as detached why because that's what my family does so you see I haven't really just differentiated myself from my world I've just been the same as them because that's how I'll survive in this family but not only that is how I've identified um, so in order to for us to really be different we and really appreciate our different we have to be willing to differentiate and and come to terms with what we think about our difference now that's a little bit difficult sometimes because um we we have absorbed so much of what society thinks and what family thinks and what friends thought about who we are and about how we present and um so if somebody says you're fat, but I don't look in the mirror and see myself as fat. I start looking for the fat. Uh, now, I know that that word is not um, politically correct, and I'm glad it's not, but it is a word that's thrown around a lot in our high schools and grammar schools. So if somebody says to a child that that child is fat, then that child is not going to say, no, I'm not, although they might say that verbally. They're going to go home that night and start looking for the fat that the other person saw. Why? Because it's difficult for them to separate me from you. Um, so when I'm two months old, I look at my fists. I stare at my fists for lengthy periods of time, and I'm going, wow, that fist is mine. 
And a few months later, I reach out and I grab a rattle and I stick the rattle in my mouth and I go, wow, that rattle is also mine. And what I mean when I say mine is not that the rattle belongs to me, that mommy and daddy bought it for me, but rather that it's a part of me. That rattle is me and that fist is me. And I don't know the difference yet. And over a little while of time, I'm going to be able to begin to see that the rattle is not me, but the fist is still me. And so that's what we're, that's a journey we're on in all kinds of areas in our lives that we are trying to discern me from not me. And we, some of people that I know and you know are 60, 70, 80 years old and still haven't made that distinction. What is me and what isn't me? Um, because they're so absorbed in what other people are thinking of them that they live their lives and choose their daily routines based entirely on what other people will think if they don't. So, or what they imagine other people will think if they don't. So this whole thing of difference is huge. It's huge in our psychology. As a matter of fact, I would say it's one of the biggest things we have to overcome in our psychology. So um, feeling different uh, has become, like I said uh, in the introduction, a way of describing feeling rejected. But actually, and, and the reason it has is because the word different, different in that sense, feeling different, is is pejorative. It is not acceptable to be different. I'm feeling very different means I'm feeling rejected for my difference. Instead of I'm feeling very different, meaning I'm really enjoying and appreciating my uniqueness. Uh, so, um, so when we, we have, I've worked with people who come from families where their difference is pointed out to them and criticized and mocked and made fun of and even abused. Um, and those, those, Children believe that being different is wrong. And what they've learned to do is either put it away so that even they don't know it or hide it from the family members so they won't be made fun of. Um, and, and so we, that's what we do. That's why we have so many people in the closet with regard to their sexual orientation. That's, and still, even to this day, have many people in the closet, uh, because there's still a lot of rejection going on, even though some states are beginning to pass laws that say that gays and lesbians can get married, even though um, the federal government has uh, stated that it's unconstitutional for a state to say that a person can't, pe- people can't get married, um, people of the same sex can't get married, but still, there's a lot of criticism and a lot of people not coming out. Still, there are children being kicked out of their homes, literally, put on the streets because they're gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered. So um, this thing of difference really really is very obvious in that arena, in the arena of sexual orientation. It's also very obvious in terms of, like I said, transgenderism, where it's a gender issue. Um, it's also very obvious when it comes to physical, mental, emotional, uh, or behavioral challenge. Um, and... And so we can look at those as examples of difference and say, I'm not going to be like those people because people make fun of them. Um, we see people on the street in, uh, uh, say, like a wheelchair, and we say, oh, let's, let's don't look at them because they feel different, and we don't want to make them feel different. Well, they are different, and we all are different. Everyone's difference is different from everybody else's difference. 
And, uh, that, so that whole psychology is one that we've based huge amounts of our behavior on. So what does it feel like for an individual to grow up in a home where, um, he or she is different? That person feels either, um, very sad and depressed that they cannot be accepted for who they are. Or they just join in with everybody else. And once they've joined in with everybody else, what they've essentially done is betray themselves. So either I betray you and lose you, or I betray me and lose me. And that is the very essence of one of the reasons why I formulated this show in the first place, why I wrote the book Restoring My Soul, and why I formulated this show in the first place about how to live an authentic life, is because when we talk about uh, authenticity, it is deciding to, uh, on a regular basis, deciding on a daily basis even, uh, to commit oneself to living firmly into one's own authenticity, living into and from one's own authenticity, so that I know what is inside me, and I can then decide what to do with that. Um, now, a lot of people will hear that as, oh, well, if I feel like not going to work today, then I shouldn't have to go to work because I'm being authentic. Well, that's a very shallow rendition of authenticity, and it really has only to do with some kind of um, rebellion against the social ethic or the, you know what we've been taught to do in terms of responsibility. That is just as enmeshed as is um, going along with it. If you know, there are people who live their entire lives out of a need to rebel, quote unquote, against the societal ethic or the particular family ethic that they've grown up in, uh, and so they act out what we call acting out in many ways, and they and they um, get into all kinds of legal trouble, and they get into all kinds of um, social trouble, and they. So they're, but they kind of enjoy that because they're getting their kicks out of knowing that their family is embarrassed or, or ashamed of what they've done and, and, um, uh, and, and it makes them feel like they've done, they've gotten back at their family in some kind of way. In the meantime, they're carrying around this huge sadness that they haven't been able to be accepted by their family for who they were. And, um, so what that says essentially is that, is that I'm, I'm going to rebel against you because you didn't accept me. And as long as I'm rebelling against you, at least then I have an identity that I can live with. Uh, but actually it's just an identity. It's not the authentic self. And so that way of living is no more authentic than, than is staying the same with everyone else. If I'm bouncing off of you, either by becoming like you or rebelling against you, I'm still bouncing off of you. I'm not finding me. And so when we think in those terms about authenticity, when we say, well, you know, if I feel like not going to work today, I just won't go and the boss will just have to get over it because I'm, I'm being authentic today. Well, there's probably consequences to that choice, A. And B, uh, that's not authenticity. That's some kind of uh, uh, rebellion. Okay, so... So I want to be really clear that that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about authenticity. What I'm talking about when I'm talking about authenticity is getting down to the essential core of who I am. Um, not how I dress necessarily, although my how I dress will tend to come from my essential core. Um, so it doesn't start externally and move internally. It starts internally and moves out externally. So the way I dress will come from uh, what I 
what I see today, what I feel today about myself, what I, wh- how I want to present today, how I want to, um, be in color, how I, how certain colors make me feel, how certain clothes make me feel, how, how certain clothes, uh, make me walk or things like that. So it'll be, me feeling good in the clothes, not me trying to impress you with my clothes. Okay, so, and again, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to say that you should never dress up to go to an interview. <laughs> okay, I'm only saying that um, that I'm going to come from my truest self with everything I do if I'm living an authentic life. Uh, but if I'm living from this fear of difference, then I'm not going to come from my authentic self. I'm going to come from fear that you're going to make fun of me or mock me or make me feel ashamed in some kind of way. And so I'm just not going to do those things that are different. Um, so that difference, that that sense of difference says, now you have defined me as shameful because I'm different from you. And I receive that shameful de- definition of myself as if it is true. And so, again, I have not been able to divide or differentiate myself from you. I've just absorbed your thinking instead of trying to decide what I think. So the journey to authenticity is really, in part, going to be about this this uh, recognition of difference as valuable, as an enhancement of my humanity, um, that, that it is something... Only I can bring to the table that no one else on the planet can bring this particular difference to the table. Yes, lots and lots of people play the piano, but not the way I do. Yes, lots and lots of people have a voice and they talk, but not the way I, I do. Yes, lots and lots of people have, uh, 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 they walk and they talk and they think and they go to school. And yes, they wear clothes and all of that, but not the way I do. Um, so my own individuality is made up entirely of difference because my own way of being is me. It isn't you. So therefore, just on that very premise alone, it's different. Um, now, does that mean I'm not like you in any way? Of course not. We have very, uh, very many commonalities with other people. I'm, I'm not sure that means that we're just like them. But I do think we we can share those things and we can understand those things. So if you and I both come from the same religion, then you and I will both have the same religion speak when it comes to understanding our version of God. Okay, that's that's all right. We can understand that. Does that mean we pray the same way? Does that mean that internally we see God, that whatever divine we, we worship, in the same way? Not necessarily. So... We may talk about the commonalities that we have, but when it comes to the deeper stuff, it might still be different. That's why this whole thing about religious difference is so interesting to me, because my my belief is that there's not a single person on this earth who approaches the divine in the exact same way. There may be commonalities in terms of rituals and um, and and and. Uh, Prayers and chants and uh, ways to bow and all of that. But in terms of how we internally recognize the divine and access that divine, there's difference there. I, I, I believe there probably is difference in every single solitary person. Um, and, and so this idea that religion should 
we should find some way to make you know our religions the same as other people or your religion is wrong because it's not the same as mine well if it's really true that we're not accessing the divine in, in none of us are accessing the divine in the same way then how can we possibly ever think that one religion has the answer for all of us so i think i'll stop right there and we'll take a break We'll come back and talk a little bit more about the impact of difference on our personal lives, on our careers, and on our ability to make decisions. Stay tuned for that. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. How can you make holistic health care work for you? When you are in search of wholeness, it's time to listen to Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life with host Renee David Alkali. Here you will find cutting-edge information that approaches the human being as a biochemical, individual, whole person rather than as a set of isolated symptoms. Learn how it all comes together on Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life. Live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Are you looking for better sex? Learn how to have the best sex of your life when you join Ellen Etoff and her program, Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. You'll explore every aspect of love, sex, and intimacy, and discover new realms of possibility, including the spiritual dimensions of sex. It's an adults-only world with guest experts sharing valuable tips and techniques and so much more. Cultivate the powerful energies of sexuality and an undefended heart. Listen and join in live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about differentness and what that means in terms of our lives and what it means in terms of how we can see ourselves as, as individuals and as authentic beings. And what we said we would do just before the break was we we're going to talk in this last segment about how this idea of difference impacts our choices on a daily basis and our careers and our ability to maintain authenticity. So let's talk about career real simply. Um, very often I work with people who have reached a sort of life crisis and they've decided that um, they're going to change careers. And the reason they're making that decision is because they chose a career based upon the role that they grew up in. So, for example, if I grew up in a home where I was made into the chief caregiver for my alcoholic or mentally ill parents and I was told that that was 
told verbally or non-verbally or both to that that was my job to take care of my parents, then I might grow up as a, in a quote-unquote psychological caretaking role in which I believe that's the only way I can interact with people. So I might go into the nursing field or even into the counseling field or to some field where I see myself, social work somewhere, where I see myself as a caregiver. And uh, eventually I might burn out. And what burnout means is that I have given so much of what isn't true that I no longer know what is. That's what burnout really is. So I've given out of obligation. I've given out of my role. I've given because that's what I'm sh- I should do in order to not uh, feel bad or feel ashamed. I've given because it, it, it seems like the only thing left to do. I've given because it's the safe thing to do. But I haven't given because it's real in me to do. And eventually the old, the, the, the untrue becomes apparent. And what becomes uh, even more apparent and what is what is true is that I have a longing to do something entirely different. So I might decide to be an artist or, uh, or I might decide that I want to go back to school and, um, go into engineering or, you know, it could be, it's very different for different people. But, uh, that idea of career can very often come from our role. How I see myself as a child may be the career I pick as an adult. And then we burn out and we say, no, nah, that's not it. That's not it. Uh, so I think it's very interesting in terms of our, our our educational system that we pretty much insist that by the time someone's 18 years old, they should know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Uh, especially given the fact that many 18-year-olds are still living into a role they were assigned as children. Um, I think that's a that's that's kind of an unfair thing. I think it's truer to say, and this is an old statistic that I heard a long time ago, so I don't know whether it's still true or not. But once upon a time, it was true that there were uh, f- the average rate of career changes, not not uh, job changes, career changes, was four in a lifetime. Four career changes, and that was the average. That's a lot. <laughs> now, this was back in 2000 that this was out, but um, so I don't know what it is today. But the thing is that this whole idea that we should know what we want to do when we grow up, when we're not even grown up, is, uh, is, is an interesting uh, idea. And it has to do with this idea of difference, that if you don't know what to do, then you're somehow different, and you should be ashamed that you don't know what to do, and you should have already figured that out, and gosh, what's wrong with you, and um, and get on the sick, get, you know, take care of this, and, and get busy doing something. And of course, there's only a certain number of things that we're allowed to do based on our educational endeavors. Once upon a time, there were, there were not courses like uh, getting a major in human resources. Once, once upon a time, there were not courses that allowed you to be that specific in your coursework. Now they are, but I'm betting that there's other things that are left out of that. Do they have coursework on entrepreneurialism? Well, maybe in a, in a smaller organization, but not a regular college. So um, it, it, it's that, to be able to try to, I'm trying to fit into what's already true rather than creating what is true for me and create putting that, putting feet into that. Um, and it, that's not the same for everybody. There are certain careers that lots of people are drawn to and there always will be. And, and uh, um, like, for example, theater, lots of people are drawn to that. Will they all become great movie stars? Probably not. But that doesn't mean they can't enjoy the heck out of doing what, what it is that they do. So 
so this feeling that we should do something different or do something, anything, is in part related to our fear of being different. Because if I'm not doing what everybody else says I should be doing to be a quote-unquote productive citizen, then I'm different and therefore I'm not as good as everyone else. Just being different already means that I'm not as good as everyone else. And that measurement of being different really impacts our ability to visualize what we would like to do. So I'm not going to see clearly what I would like to do if I'm busy feeling ashamed of myself for being me. It's just not going to happen. So we're we're not going to get clarity about what we want to do when we grow up if we're busy being afraid that we're going to do something that isn't what everybody else thinks we're supposed to be doing. Um, so that's how much power we have given the social milieu that we live in to define for us what we should be doing with our lives. And, you know, the question that should be asked here is what difference does it make to them what I do with my life? What difference does it make to dad if he's a doctor and I decide to go into theater? Why is that a problem for dad? But we're not asking that question, are we? We're asking, what can I do to make sure I'm just like dad? Because he'll reject me if I don't. Or what can I do to dress, walk, talk, think, act, quack, just like everyone else, because they'll make fun of me if I don't. We're not ever asking why they need to be for us to be the same as them. We're asking, what I, do I need to do to make sure that I fit in? I have so many parents that I work with who say, you know, I want my child to fit in. And, well, I don't want my child to be bullied, and I don't want my child to be made, made fun of, but fit in? I'm not sure, so sure that's what I, that would be the highest calling for my child. Uh, I'm not sure that's it. Uh, and, and maybe it is, but I'm sure not going to be saying this is the first thing I want you to do. Um, so it, 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 it's that ability to be able to stand inside ourselves and say, okay, I am different and you might not like that, but here's the thing. The people that can like me and love me as different as I am, those are my people. The people who can't like me and love me as different as I am, they're not my people. They're just not my people. And does that mean I'm rejecting them? No, it just means we're probably not going to connect. That's all it means. We're probably not going to really deeply connect. We're not going to probably hang out with each other a whole lot because they're not going to want me to be who I am. And I'm going to need to be who I am. So when we turn it around, in the same way that you know we, we've asked what we need to do to uh, protect ourselves from bullies, and so many times what we're teaching our children is how, what they should do if they get bullied. We're teaching them you know, how to, how to uh, avoid getting bullied. And you know, we're trying to do the same thing we did with rape for so many years. We tried to teach the victims or the potential victims how to avoid getting raped. What we didn't do was try to teach the rapists how not to rape. We don't teach the bullies how not to bully. And we're not teaching people who make fun of differentness how not to make fun of differentness. Okay? And there's a whole other program in that by itself, and we're not going to go there today. But the idea is that if we're going to really begin to be able to celebrate differentness, and I don't mean tolerate differentness, I mean celebrate differentness, if we're going to be able to do that, we have to be able to ask that question, why does the bully bully? 
Why does the rapist rape? Why does a violent person become violent? Why does dad need me to be just like him? Why does mom need to be me to be just like her? Why does my church need me to be just like them? Why does society need for me to be just like it? Those are the questions that need to be asked. Because when we, when we begin to ask those questions, we're going to see where the problem is. We're not ever going to see where the problem is when we're asking the question, how can I fit in? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I want to be really clear about that. I'm not saying that we should just have a terminal case of uniqueness. I'm not saying that we should just deliberately set out to be different from other people just because. Um, I'm saying when we find our authenticity, it is naturally different from other people, and we can allow its difference, and not only allow it, but ta- but but uh, appreciate it and celebrate it and uh, join with it and, and let it have its full potential so that it can bring what is true inside of me to the table of the world so that I can give my truest potential to the world. And that's all I have to give. Everything else that I give is fake. Let me say that again. Everything else that I give besides my authenticity is fake. It ain't real. Okay? And so what I'm saying here is that if if I'm, you know, wearing the clothes that you want me to wear, talking the talk you want me to talk, walking the walk you want me to walk, believing the things you want me to believe, saying the prayers you want me to say, and I haven't ever stopped to consider whether or not any of those things are real for me, I have not yet brought anything to the table. I have not yet gifted the world with anything. And I've hidden myself in, under a bushel. I've put out my own light. So if I have any one thing to give to this world, it's me. The only thing that truly, absolutely, 100% belongs to me is me. And if, and if, and if I'm going to give anything at all to the world, it's that. There is nothing else that I have to give because nothing else belongs to me. Everything else that I've tried to tape onto myself is fake. The tape will fall off one day. So, how does it impact me, my, my daily choices to live as if I can be just like everybody else? It is utter deprivation. I am starving myself of myself. I am not feeding me to me. I am not rejoicing in the meanness of me. I'm, I'm allowing the world to overcome it, trample over it, and just push it down into a grave way long before I'm dead. Now, I said that in very dramatic terms because I want you to hear it. It's the truth. We are the one and only thing that we have that I can 100% say belongs to me is me. Everything else belongs to either somebody else or to the earth or to the gods or to something else besides me. I don't own it. I can only own me. And if I'm not owning me, then who is? And then the next question is, why would they need to? What is it that is missing in them that they need to get me to act like them? So when a dad says to his son, you have to be a doctor because I'm a doctor, what is it that's missing in that dad that makes him want to ask, to demand that his son be just like him? What is that? Those questions must be answered. They must be answered. And in order for us to move into a celebration of difference, we have to begin to ask those questions. Generally, we don't. 
Generally speaking, we don't ask. Those are scary questions to ask because they require deep answers. They require us to look inside of ourselves and see that perhaps I'm not so sure of who I am unless you look just like me. If you don't look just like me, then I, I don't know who I am. You have to look like me or I feel scared that I don't have a grounding. Um, you have to look like me so I'll feel okay about me, in other words. But if I'm giving something to Dad, it would be me. The only thing I have to give to Dad is me. And if I'm not given that, I haven't given anything to Dad. So when Dad tells me not to be me, what he's doing is saying, don't give me anything. And he doesn't know he's saying that. And that's a sad thing. So this whole thing of difference is huge in terms of our capacity to appreciate and understand our own authentic spirituality, which is going to be the topic of our discussion next week. Um, next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, we'll be talking about authentic spirituality. Yours, mine, ours. Be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.